Tested negative for COVID. So Aww, negativity. Suck it. Suck it. I will. Uh, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate no more that. COVID dick. <gasps> COVID dick. What? Is that like whiskey dick? <laughs> A little bit. Oh, I was just thinking like, never mind. <laughs> no, tell us. You have to now. <laughs> like if you sucked someone's dick who had COVID, you would get Ooh. COVID. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like you think semen can carries COVID? Does it I carry mean, if the poop flu? Can do it. Poop? I'd say but that's so. a whole different thing. Poop? I mean, poop and semen are basically the same thing. That's the I, new mouths and what? Should what? we start over? We're not. No. Mm. <laughs> no. We are no. discussing something kind of body. Oscar Wilde. Body. Body. Yes. I wanted to first start out by saying, um, y'all did a fantastic job with that that scene. Last oh, episode, thank you, thank you. I uh, stand corrected because I did send you a message. I was like, "Does this really? Is this really the best representation of wild?" And you were like, "It fucking is." And I was like, "Okay, yeah. well done." Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks. <sighs> nice high as shit when we did that. That was kind of oh, a last minute. Re- oh, should yeah, I retire we, from the yeah. podcast? Yeah. What? That's what we were basically retire. saying. I think this is no. my last episode. Why don't no. you leave? Well, no. <laughs> we're going to cover your place no, What about all the you? money? What about all the money? Yeah, You're right. We the make summer so home much you money just bought. <laughs> yeah. The I summer home I, and the winter home will have winter, to go by yeah, yeah. yeah. the podcast. Y'all, I love you. It's good to see you. I'm glad good we're here, recording yeah. this. Yeah, and we're in good spirits. First preview of Freestyle Love Supreme is tonight on the night we're recording, and I'm so oh, stressed shit. that they're going to call me and be like, something just exploded, um, which is very possible. Um, but come see that. I'll say that later in the LA Spotlight. But we're just we're here. We're talking about theater because we're a podcast that does that. There's we my segue. Pre-show, mm-hmm. we were talking about nothing but playwrights. Well, and Stranger Things. Yeah. And Barry. <laughs> And Barry. Uh, and There's a scene in the new season of Barry, apparently, where Henry Winkler says he was doing a show at the Pasadena Playhouse and he was addicted to yeah. blow. Yes. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited. A reference. Well, and also, <laughs> while, while we're digressing, a uh, quick shout out to Mike Lanahan, friend of the pod, member of Sacred Fools, who uh, got two episodes uh, on Barry this year. Hey! With Henry Winkler. Jerk. Yeah, yeah. And he's <laughs> really good at it. It's infuriating. Sure he is. <laughs> he's so good at it. Like, it's so, he's so funny. Um, and it's a great character. But, yeah. Very Shout exciting. out. Well, cool. We have uh, friends in high places, y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but welcome. Welcome, friends, to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds. I'm, nope. <laughs> theater, Hi, theater nope. nerds three, three makers three theater makers <laughs> welcome to theater theater this is rock cut rock cut no, start, no, over. Just start over no go back welcome to i'm trying not to use the script anymore welcome to theater theater <laughs> no you should use the script now. okay you're right i'm going back to the script i keep fucking it up every week myself but i am not using that i found script. it welcome to theater theater the theater podcast for theater nerds <laughs> Made by three theater, excuse you, made Sorry. by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together, we sure do, and we discuss, <laughs> we debate, we disseminate the evolutions of the great play Ritz by taking a macro look at three of their macro plays. Macro means this, big. Oh, I was trying to cut you off. Yeah, it's fine. I know we're, you were. I know you were. That one. <laughs> okay, and this is part two. Of three of our mini series covering the works of Oscar Wilde. That's right. It's the impodence of being Urncast. Now, now listen. This is very <laughs> controversial. This is not what it's, we discussed. It's, it was not. It was an audible called by Bailey. Uh, I, I believe have to tell that you why. I, I had. I think CJ had undue influence. 
nope. and I feel <laughs> left out of the conversation. No, there was no extra conversation. You have to understand that no. when I am building the the <laughs> cover for this, if you if you look at what you downloaded on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, Podcast Addict, which is what I use, I highly recommend it. It's it's better than the rest. Get on pod pod your podcast catcher your pod catcher and look at the the art that we made or get on our instagram it's on there too but it's very difficult to find imagery that works for those things that isn't like someone's art already yeah, sure, sure right sure. so i'm always just kind of looking for images that kind of give the idea of it if i can't find like a real legitimate playbill or something like that does that make sense mm-hmm. so when I was doing it and I typed out the importance of being podcast, it didn't look aesthetically as pleasing as the impotence of being earncast. Uh-huh. I just don't know what it was about it. And I just decided, I think I'm going to try it. And I looked at it and it looked clean and it made me happy. And I said, sweaty is fine. We can get <laughs> real sweaty. It's the summertime. It's, it's summer. back in July, y'all. That's right. Let's get sweaty. Impotence of being Urncast. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. Uh, During this series, we've already covered Vera or the Nihilists. This week, we're talking about importance of being earnest. And next week, we're covering Salome, his final uh, complete play. Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. This week, we're doing chronology. Chronology. And we're we're talking about importance of being earnest. But before we get into it, is there anything y'all want to say for yourselves? Go ahead, Siege. I well, I had the pleasure of I read this and really enjoyed it, and then um, I managed to get in the 2002 movie this morning. Oh, hey. so, yeah, pretty different for how well it represents the play. We'll talk about it. Yeah, I don't want to get into it too hard now, but well, 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 well. Because I have a couple things to say, and I have questions, because you like the movie, right, Bailey? I do, but I haven't and seen I liked it in a it while, too. and I meant to rewatch it before this and didn't get the chance. Scott, have you seen it, 2002? Yeah, I probably saw it in 2002. I don't okay. Have any, I don't yeah, I think have any let's talk about it when we actually get into the play. I don't want to well, stay on chronology Well, I guess toes. you can talk about it, because you watched it and didn't tell anybody else, just like the title <laughs> thing. Yeah. Wow, this is all breaking, breaking apart slowly That's but surely. Fine. No, I'm it's just fine. Joking. No, I'm looking forward to. No, talking. we're on our way out. Okay, we hit the hundredth episode. And we were like, let's just fucking die. Let's kill this thing. Uh, no, we have enough listeners that I feel like we could keep this thing going. But also, like, it would be nice to take off in a way that we can make some money off of this. It'll never happen. It's fine. Yeah, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're so um, niche. It's so niche. It's so niche. Listen, um, there is a podcast that that's famous called Hot Pipes, and it's about organs. And it's yeah, that doing shit's well. cool. What's not cool about this? They're probably geniuses. We're just people. We're just, oh, guys, I'm having That's an what identity crisis. No. <laughs> now is not the time, Bailey. Uh, I want to go uh, Are you feeling days. insecure as an artist lately? Yeah. You're rushing my process. All right. So let's Scott, talk. what about you? What did you have to say? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, am I being allowed to speak now? <laughs> um, no, it was great to revisit it. It had been a while. And some memories came back while rereading it. I remember watching a scene back in the day with uh, Jack and Algernon and the muffin eating. Mm. And this actor put a dozen fucking muffins in his mouth during the course of the scene. And it just was just just little memories like that came flooding it's back. It's not and, even the good muffins either. It's the English it's muffins. It's English muffins. <laughs> Which just need a ton of butter on them or something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. Clotted cream. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a trip to revisit it. It was funny because I'd read I was reading it and I'm like, is there something missing here? Is this an edited thing? And then. I was reminded that there was a cut scene that Wilde had cut back in the day with a he whole other character. This thing like thirty times. Like thirty times, and yeah. then and then I had seen a version of it where they had put that scene back in, and I totally right. forgot 2002, about it. Two thousand two, they put it back in. Yeah. Oh, did they for the, the movie? movie? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was looking at some trivia. 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 <laughs> trivia. Um, but yeah, All yeah, correct. yeah. It's uh, it's it's a classic, and it's still a blast. I think. Um, yeah, we'll get into it. We yeah. will get into it, but first, Grounding. we have something. Shh, we have something very important. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. All right. 
Chronology. That's right, guys. It's time for the chronology. Chronology. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to walk you through all of his works. He wrote so many short stories, essays, novels, novellas, things like that. Like, he has, he's prolific in other, he was an orator. Right, he literally tore yeah, right. as a speaker. He was wow. known for yeah. that before ever writing a play, right? You know, and like, he died at like what forty-two or something, something yeah. like that. He dies Jesus in nineteen hundred, and he's writing these plays in the eighteen eighties. So only twenty years he's writing plays until he passes. So I'm going to step you through these, but we already, we already covered his first play. This is Vera or the Nihilists. Doesn't do very well. But sells at first because of his fame as an orator, right? So then he writes another one sometime in the next couple of years, and it gets put up in 1883. It's called The Duchess of Padua. Also Padua. doesn't do well at all. But this is a five-act tragedy set in Padua and written in blank verse. Yeah, it's a okay. hard one. It's a hard one to get through. Sounds tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've, um, done a, I've done a reading of it. And, it yeah. was specifically written for the actress Mary Anderson in 1883 while he was in Paris, and then she turned it down. Hmm. So he wrote it for this actress, and she was like, nah. And so then it was abandoned completely until they brought it to Broadway in 1891. So uh-huh. technically this isn't fully produced until eight years eight years later um but it's it's done on broadway under a different title guido ferranti and it ran for three weeks and ever since then it's like super rarely revived and not studied really at all people are like we don't need that so it's kind of it's kind of set aside now after enjoying vera part of me wants to find this and read it yeah 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 i was like i wonder if there's any more like fun humor built in there at all right even though it's called a tragedy sure then we have lady windermere's fan in 1892 yeah so he's like not really writing through the back half of the of the well not writing plays he's right 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 exactly not writing plays he's he sort of abandons the stage and then he comes back with lady windermere's fan or a play about a good woman (laughs) <laughs> it's a four-act comedy first performed at the St. James Theater in London and it's uh have y'all ever seen this one? Mm-mm. I saw it one time in Kansas City and I can't even remember where or why I saw it but it's about this lady Windermere who suspects that her husband is having an affair with another woman and she confronts him but he denies it and sort of gaslights her and then he invites the other woman over to his wife's birthday party. Classy, yeah. And her name is Mrs. Erline. Okay. Uh-huh. And do you know the twist ending of this play? Oh, I can't remember. I do remember you want being... to know the twist yes, ending yes, of this play? Yes. So it's kind of famous because the, all these antics happen, and it's very, you know, farcy. It's, yeah, kind of farcy and like maybe not as maybe not as farce as importance, but yeah, definitely in that vein. But Mrs. Erline actually is Lady Windermere's mother and <laughs> gave her up when she was a child. And Boy, they're really into that. He's really into that. Is oh, actually yeah. look no, is actually looking rumor, out yeah, for her yeah. by spending with time her with her husband yeah i don't know it's, i just remember it being bad <laughs> right. um but people really love it yeah, um it's and it's one of it's those drawing hit. room plays it's it's the start of his drawing room play phase he's about to do three more so there's that one and then in uh, 93 1893 he does a woman of no importance this is sort of the least successful of the four drawing room plays yeah it still gets done though it was it was sort of considered like a new and original Play about modern life in 1893. Um, <laughs> it's four acts. Uh, first done at the Haymarket Theater in London. It satirizes like English upper class society, just just like 
importance and just like Lady Windermere. And it's been revived time to time, widely regarded as the least successful, though, of these four. Then in 80, uh, excuse me, 1895, he has An Ideal Husband. Mm. Now, I'm pretty sure there's also a movie of An Ideal Husband with Rupert Everett in it. Oh. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's. It's like. It's, Let's look it up. So or maybe charming. it's Colin Firth. It's someone from the 2002 Importance. Importance. Yeah. Yeah, look it up for me, Scott. Thanks. I, uh, the Ideal Husband is a four act play, revolves around blackmail, political corruption. I mean, talking about writing for your audience, because it's right. the upper class English that are seeing. Yeah, stuff, and and there and he's doing it in a in a way where and we'll get deeper into this with importance, but he's doing it in a way where it is very, like, he knows that they're gonna go and sort of laugh at themselves. Yes, yes. you know, and he gets some stabs in there that maybe they don't even fully take mm-hmm. the message. De- from. I could definitely see him being smarter than his audience. <laughs> Absolutely, but I think also they are, you know, they're enjoying it now. The, the, an ideal husband has been. Revived many times, um, movies, radio, television. Indeed, it was. It was. It was Rupert Everett. Rupert, I knew it. Julian Moore, for this kind of stuff. Julian Moore. Oh, cute. So I, I I don't know that I've seen that, but maybe like on TV back in the day or something, right? Um, But so the play was published in 1899 in an edition with. um, Oh, okay. Let me tell you this. This is a really interesting piece of this, the history of this play of An Ideal Husband, okay? In uh, April, on the last day of the Haymarket London Theater run, Wilde was arrested for gross indecency. So his name was removed from the playbills and programs when the production transferred to the Criterion Theater where it ran for... 13 more performances and then the play was published in 1899 in an edition with a thousand copies where wild's name was not printed on it wow so it was published as by the author of lady windermere's fan Mm, because he Mm. was societally not you know uh, (laughs) okay to talk about anymore and he would die the next year so it's kind of fucked um then he does importance of being earnest in 1895 salome in 1896 um which is a translation of uh, french French lord alfred douglas yeah um well he he translated from french by lord alfred douglas sorry it was originally yeah he wrote it in french um then he writes two plays that he actually starts in between importance of being earnest and Salome that he never finishes. Hmm. So these are pretty interesting. Let me step through these real quick. So you have Le Saint Courtesan, which is the holy courtesan. It's an unfinished play. He starts in 1894, and the original draft was left in a taxi cab (gasps) by him, his only manuscript, and it was never completed because of that. But, however, it was found and published in 1908 by Wilde's literary executor. Okay. It has never been performed, and very little of it has been studied. Oh. Wow. So it's just, like, basically a manuscript he left in a taxi cab and never picked up again. Hmm. And his opinion on it later was sort of like, oh, it was kind of musical and fun and whatever, but I didn't, I don't care. And that was, like, during his imprisonment. Um before he passed. Then uh, a Florentine tragedy is the is the final incomplete play and it's concerns Simone, a wealthy 16th century Florentine merchant mm. who finds his wife Bianca in the arms of a local prince. <gasps> oh my. And uh, after feigning hospitality to the prince, Simone challenges the interloper to a duel disarms him, strangles him. Yeah. And then this awakens the affection of his wife. <laughs> and they reconcile. All right. So that's, that's basically the plot. Well, sounds all right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about Wilde's opinion of women in, in a little bit. But the original manuscript for the play is held at the University of Texas Austin in the Harry Ransom Center because they have a full like larger holdings of Oscar Wilde research and literature 
and they have the actual original manuscript of this play there, this unfinished play. Now, this is the best part of this. It's going to be a little long-winded, but stay with me because it's worth it, okay? In 1914, the young... 1914, so we're 14 years after he's passed, a young Italian composer, Carlo Raffasegna... Nope. You're wrong. You're wrong, He wrote a short opera that is based on this unfinished work. Interesting. The right. libretto was published with Wilde's name on it, okay, in okay. 1914. Then, in 1917, Alexander von Zemlinsky wrote an opera based on the German translation of this play. Wow. Then, again, Sergei Prokofiev wrote an opera called Madalena, which is based on his own libretto, which is based on a play by Magda Gustavnova, Levian Orlova, which is which she wrote under the pen name Baron Levin as a man. But that play was based on Oscar Wilde's play. So she, a woman, yeah. I got it, bro. Oh, in it. It's all tracks. Randy Newman wrote a musical <laughs> called The Italian Sad Story. You're almost oh. right. You're almost right. In 1989, Caspar <laughs> wow. Rene Hirschfeld wrote a chamber opera titled Bianca based on the Florentine tragedy. Wow. He used the... German translation by Max Meyerfeld, filling in for the absent first scene, because apparently there was a missing first scene, which had been added in previous operas. He put in a love scene between Bianca and the prince, and he used love poetry that Oscar Wilde had written previously just as poetry. All right. As part of the lyrics, and the opera was performed at the Salzburg Festival in 1991. Now... For something incomplete, it's pretty incredible. I, it is. How much so many operas have been I feel on it. like that was a bunch of theater fucks. That was a long string of theater fucks. You're like, what are you going to do? I heard that there's this Oscar Wilde play. Oh, no, there were. It's worse than rarely, theater fucks. And then writes yeah. it, goes through it, opening, and his friend's like, dude. No, these are dramaturgs. Yeah, dude, these, oh are, these are opera. These are opera. <laughs> Somebody nerds. already opera did this nuts. a couple yeah. times. Opera nuts. Yeah. That's okay, a whole opera different... fucks. Jesus there's Christ. This, <laughs> I I hesitate to tell this story, but I won't give a lot of specifics. But the other day, I was in a room with many donors for a thing, and there was um, no, no, they're not donors. They're 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 uh, like volunteers and things mm-hmm. like that. But they they give money and they're around and like things like that. And there's one very important person sitting to my left, and one not important person at. Oh, I, I, I don't know how else to say that. Sitting to my right. And the not important person was telling us how opera is the only true performance art. That plays and musicals are a waste of time and too frilly and too silly. I'm flipping and them the off. the only <laughs> true art form. He said, maybe ballet, but truly only opera. And the very important person to my left spent about five minutes destroying everything they had said. <laughs> quite beautiful. That's that's about as deep as I can go into that story, but quite worth the time. Now, uh, I think I don't know. Should we turn it off? Should we get rid of no, the no? No, burn it all down. <laughs> you want to talk about the play? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. Flip this table. Flip um, it. Flip it. Okay. Look, CJ, I'm just yeah. gonna I'm just gonna give it to you. I'm just gonna let you start this off. Look, it's my turn. Yeah. What's up? What are we talking about? It's my turn. For what? <laughs> Introduce the play. Yes. What's it called? The importance of being earnest. Okay, now break it the fuck down. <laughs> okay, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> 
CJ's Breakdown. The story of two bachelors, John Jack Worthing and Algernon Algy Moncrief, who create alter, alter egos slash fake family members to escape their tiresome lives. Mm. Stepping into one another's made-up characters, they attempt to win the hearts of two women. The pair struggle to keep up with their own stories and become tangled in a tale of deception, disguise, and misadventure. Misadventure. <laughs> Misadventure. Yeah, very fun. Good times. Thanks yeah. for that breakdown. I'm sorry I was rude before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, used no, to it. It's fucking great. Like, I think the first two acts hold up better than the third act. I mean, over time. Like, that third act, we get into a lot of, like, wacky situation comedy sitcom kind of stuff in terms of the revelation it's great i'm not i, I don't want to know yeah, i mean too much. even as ridiculous and silly as act three gets it's actually very precise right like oh yeah it, it's yeah. tight like every bit ends up having layers and layers of payoff in act three right it like sets every, up everything perfectly yeah, well like and, uh, specifically yeah. like the cucumber sandwiches and the like you know like things like oh this just... play made me want to have high tea so fucking yeah. bad yeah right <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure but there's a there's a controlled chaos to this play which makes per- makes a perfect farce right i mean if you're looking for farce you're looking when you're looking at a farce you're looking for controlled chaos all the best farces do that well right noises off boeing boeing fucking tartuffe tartuffe what's that door farce that everyone loves what is that called what uh, the oh no that's boeing boeing i'm thinking of moon over buffalo though yeah things like this like my my only problem with reading this other than other than um you know, I had a great time reading it, and I'm personally a stickler, even if it's a brand new play, about being word perfect. Because, like, in school, they were like, playwrights wrote things for a reason. It's respectful to the playwright to get your words correct. And I I feel like this is a play, like Shaw, like Chekhov, where it's like, I would insist on everything being yeah. absolutely perfect. The only problem I had with this play was, like, I just... I really enjoyed it. I had a good time reading it. I can't wait to see it and or be in it sometime. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> like, I kept trying to think of... I mean, I think you could get into... It almost gave me some shades of Taming of the Shrew, where it's like um, women talking about how hard it is to be a man and stuff like that. And I think you could say that honestly, or I think you could say that with the glint in her eye. Like, it could be done different ways. And I think both of those are correct. Sure. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that it's his mo- most subversive. Like he's he's starting to tap into real early absurdism, real like clear like fucking with words and making things crazy as a critique of how fucked up the rules of Victorian society were. Like, everything's really meant to undermine it to some degree and to certainly mm-hmm. poke fun at it, you know? For sure. Um, although he was always in a, in a semi-elite position, you know? Um, right. But he, he even gives a little bit to to the lower classes or the regular people. Um, but he does it really well. And I, I found some of it biting. And I found specifically some of... Uh, some of the stuff that happens and then some of the things that the women say is being like, really like, this is horrible. Like this is fucked up. These rules that we live by are crazy. And that's how like, it's this self manifesting thing that comes to pass. I think it's, it's also just because of where we're at now in history that Victorian society has been sold to me as kind of such an overdone, ridiculous society anyway, that I read this with, with that in mind. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you got to hand it to him. He's good at punching up, which to me is way funnier comedy than punching down. Sure. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, he's punching sideways, right? He's he's very much part of the group. He is, is making fun of, but he's an aesthete and he, he's outside of that and sees it differently. He's better. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, I, I do as a, as a man, I can say it does feel a bit when you're reading it, it could read a bit cynical towards women. Right. There's, could, yeah. there's, 
because and and at first when I I said this last week, like I think it's on purpose in a lot of ways, the way that he's pointing at how women are treated in society and how they feel like they have to act. But in doing so, I think there is a little bit of cynicism. There is just like that little bit of gay gay male gaze lens, oh, uh-huh. if that makes sense, yeah, right? Where I get what you're saying. He benefits yeah. from from you know, we talk about this a lot and it's like a difficult thing to talk about, but sort of the the uh, white gay man in America, especially, um, and the privileges that they carry while also being someone who's marginalized. Like, it's just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but they still benefit in, in certain ways. He's He kind of falls into that in this weird way, just in a different time, where he sort of is like getting away with saying a lot of this. It's sort of like... I, I liken it to like RuPaul's Drag Race, like or like drag culture, where especially if you watch like Drag Race in the early seasons, you can feel that little bit of it's internalized misogyny in a way where they're like, uh-huh. you know, they're throwing around pussy and like fish, like ooh you're fish because like that's like a reference to like the smell of a vagina, right? And like things like that that are kind of offensive now, right? Where when we if we kind of if we did that now it'd feel like a little icky and they've they've stepped away from that since they've they've definitely woken up to those kind of things but he is you can feel the sex in the city lens of it all if yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. I, yeah right i guess these I women relationships sure <laughs> i guess i also read it as it's impossible to tell how tongue-in-cheek he was being. That's my point. Is like, I wonder. I just right. am wondering. I don't really know. I mean, yeah. you know, you have the moment. It didn't make me... It didn't make... I, I mean, for me, it's just... I, I don't know. I guess for me, I read it as like, well, you would you would use... You would say it this way because you're pointing at it, not because right. you're taking a dig. But yeah, that's just but how then, I read but it. But even so, like, you know, the thing where he's... the One of them says, well, no... Uh, I think it's Algie says... Uh, or one of them says, I hope they can be sisters. And the mm-hmm. other one says, well, before they can ever call each other, only women who call each other sisters have called each other many other things before that. Right. 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 Like in a negative way. Like, sure. And then that's the arc of the two women is they, is they end up at first sort of cat fighting in a misunderstanding. And by the end they're like, Oh sister. Right? So I, it's like, yeah, yeah. I almost like, especially when I was watching the movie and I don't know if this would take all the fun out of the farsiness of it is if there is a version of this where one or both of the women discover what's going on in one of the earlier scenes that the guys are lying about who they are and then everything from them getting in the fake fight and then being friends and confidants again, if that is part of their game. But I don't know if That's that takes all the fun take. out of it. I mean, yeah. it could that could be fun, but then it also almost like, really, if we're, because this is the problem with what I'm saying is, in a way, it, it, it's punching everyone. right it's it's like so so i kind of like the idea of them all being completely vapid and unaware but then i i agree like if we wanted to give more uh, it's i mean it's the taming of the shrew thing like you could do it a million different ways and and i think there's cool takes but i think if at the time i do think part of him is is like doing that kind of like gay man's perspective of of oh women are like this straight men are like this ha 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 kind of thing i don't know just interesting generalizations generalizations which um which i'm generalizing by saying gay men do that all of them (laughs) well i mean in victoria in victorian england I mean, people were probably more generalizations because you were expected to fit into a mold and yeah. do certain things and talk a certain way and dress a certain way. So, yeah. CJ, I'd love it if you tried to fit into my mold. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I'm a woman. I'm what fluid, are y'all's? So. Yeah, well. Do you all, do you all uh, have any favorite lines? I have one. I had a bunch. I didn't write any down, but I'd love to hear yours. My favorite line is Lady Bracknell. She says... 
Never speak ill of society. Only people who can't get into it do that. <laughs> I mean, yes. she had a lot. I mean, all of them had great lines, but Lady Bracknell's kind of my favorite. Yeah, she's the ultimate. Like, she's the thematic statement of them. <laughs> she's, yes. yeah. Everything she says is what you walk away with, like, yes. in some way. Did you um, hear the, uh, about the production with Jeffrey Wright? playing her no what yeah they did Fun. yeah they did an all-male production and he played her and apparently Fun. like oh. slayed slayed it i uh, can imagine i would love to see rupaul's drag race do importance of being earnest oh they there's should. all kinds of, that was the thing i was like there's all kinds of flip i would love to see a complete reverse gender one i'd love to see an all-woman one oh, i'd, I'd be like, I just, there's so many fun things to do Absolutely. because all of the characters are so juicy. Mm-hmm. They all have their, I mean, even Lane, <laughs> the butler. Who's kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, Lane. Oh, yeah, Lane. a couple of reviews I thought were interesting to bring up. Um, in the the publication, The Speaker, uh, and a writer, A.B. Walkley, who really admired the play, he basically denied the term. You were talking about the farcical nature of the play, uh, CJ. He denies the term farce when describing this play. He said, no, tis derogatory to call it a farce. Um, he says that's la- it's, it's, you, you can't even call it lacking in seriousness because he says it is of nonsense, all compact, and better nonsense I think our stage has not seen. Well... <laughs> And it's like, I don't, okay, so you're oh. like, don't call it farce, it's nonsense. Oh, okay. Um, I will say one quote I, w- I wrote down, actually, is the subtitle, A Trivial Comedy for Serious People. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> I did like that. It's very serious. Um, okay, back to reviews. Another review worth mentioning is H.G. Wells. Yes. What? Famed writer, H.G. Wells. He was a critic, Wrote a yes. review for the Pall Mall Gazette. Why, I don't know. But he called Ernest one of the freshest comedies of the year, saying, more humorous dealing with theatrical conventions it would be difficult to imagine. Well. <laughs> These people talk so Yoda. Well, um, Mr. Wells. <laughs> yeah. uh, he they also talk so Yoda. <laughs> very Yoda. H.G. Wells also questioned whether people fully would get it. He was like, I don't think people are really going to get this play. And I think now we do, right? I think yes. now we it has been studied in ways that we, we definitely do. But I think he's right. Like we were saying, I think there's a upper echelon of society watching this going, <laughs> yes, some of my friends are like this, yes. And it's like, no, you are like this. You, You're not seeing yeah, all of yeah, it. Yeah, you yeah. just don't know it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but those are those are the only ones I thought were super worth mentioning. Um, this play kind of rocks. It's I think it's easy for me now in a 2022 lens to always look at gender politics and plays and get a little bit like, okay, what's he doing here? And we did it with Ibsen too, where we mm-hmm. were like, is this really feminism or is it you know? And and here I don't think he's doing any immunisms of any type. He's 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 just punching he's just well, it's like, like, yeah it's like it's like society is a balloon and he's the one who's kind of gone up to it and started to kind of punch it yeah. a little bit that nobody had done that kind of that kind of humor before that kind of stabbing sort I, of social commentary well and i also i'm thinking of it also maybe i'm a little bit more forgiving about it because i'm thinking of it in a relationship to vera too which i think sure. is in some ways a feminist humanist play I think this is him making fun of the wealthy more than anything, more than for sure. He's more... making fun of his friends. Yeah, if, if we're being like really, yeah, if we're really thinking about it, he's making fun of people he knows personally. Yeah. Oh yeah, he knows right? Algernon. He absolutely yeah. knows Algernon. He is Algernon. He is. That's Al- actually the other thing. Yeah, he, he is, is both John and Algy and Ernest. He because you know well, yeah. he he is. That's him. He's the one who's a little above it all than anybody. I think you're right. Yes. Can we can we talk about the movie now? The 2002 movie. Yeah. Again, I haven't seen it since probably I was like maybe 17, 18. But yeah, go for it. I have a couple small things to say about it. Um, First of all, Judy Dench and Anna Massey, who were Lady Bracknell and Miss Prism, yeah, were reprising their roles that they had done on stage. 20 uh, years before yeah. in London cool. and Anna Massey won the Laurence Olivier award for Miss Prism, which oh, wow. I was like, 
Really? Because to me, Miss, I mean, Lady Bracknell's the better part, and Miss Prism's such a tiny, weird little part, I think, personally. Yeah, and I think but, if you did something interesting with it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Country Estate was West Wycombe Park, which is Downton Abbey. I was like, where do I oh, know yeah. this place from? And then, um, okay, two more things. Okay. Okay. Um, I... I've only seen Importance of Being Earnest done once and it was live. And it's very like all of the music, all of the, all of the language has so much music and it's, it's up high and it's down low and it's, it's Farsi sounding. I liked this because I thought it was a more realistic. It's Farsi sounding because Farsi is a language. It's farcical. (laughs) Farcical. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, this was a realistic portrayal. They're using the same language, but it's film, and so they're just having a conversation with each other. Yeah. And I think in some moments it didn't quite work. Sure. But mostly, I mean, they had a bunch of great fucking actors doing it too. It's yeah. it's interesting to I what from what I remember, I remember what you're saying, the understatedness versus what you would do on stage, which has to be a little over the top and fast paced mm-hmm. to keep people in, engaged. Mm-hmm. In the film, you you can engage them with pretty flowers and and scenes Music around Downton and Abbey. Yeah, yeah. locations, yeah. Yes. locations, yes. right? And then and then Rupert Everett and Reese Witherspoon and and fucking you know like everyone's Colin gorgeous. Firth Colin and, Firth yes. and you're just like, "Oh, this is the most beautiful cast ever. Perfect. I can just watch this all day." But then they get to be really understated and actually bring all new comedy to what is already you know a drawing drawing room yeah, type thing yeah. that could be done on stage very lightly, but sure. I think you would lose your audience, especially in a modern, modern sure. Music. Yeah. And then the last thing I had to say about it, and I'm not saying I hated it at all, but I was confused by what they did with the music. How so? Because the music almost sounded like this is supposed to be what the 1880s, something like it's Victorian England, so sure. that's 1880s. The music is almost like jazz vaudeville music the whole time. Yeah, that way, parlor music would have been big at that point. So that fits. Yeah. To me, it just didn't. I was it, it. It felt to me like they were taking a different era and stamping it on top of this one, and I was just confused by it. I like I said, I didn't hate it. I just it was distracting to me, and I didn't. I mean, understand. they might have also. It was probably too accurate. Right. Yeah, by what you're the way you're saying, it's like, oh, that doesn't feel right because you want strings and you want. I guess, I guess. But I mean, it might also be actively set at a different time or something. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember it. Well, they still did horse and carriages and all that shit in it. So, like, it was definitely of those haven't existed in years. They talk about they talk about the Victorian era and stuff in the script. So. Uh, maybe it was so accurate that it threw me off, but I to me it's felt like they were taking music from like the twenties and thirties and stamping it. it sounds on top like of you it. need a music history lesson. Either. I guess so. Scott, insert stinger here. <laughs> music history lesson. <laughs> music you know, history. I took I took a history of rock and roll class that started in the eighteen seventies with minstrel music and moved all the way up through Whoa. until. Uh, I think Snoop Dogg was the last thing we covered at that point. That's cool. That is it was coolest, really cool, yeah. The coolest class I ever took was at KU my freshman year, my second semester freshman year at KU. I took a film class called Jazz Through Film. Oh. So it was each week we would watch a movie – and then we would discuss it, and then by the next week we had to write a paper on it, basically, and how it like and how it had to do with jazz culture of the time. So we started with like an old, you know, um, I don't even remember, like some movie that came out in the '30s, and then we every decade we had a new. We got to Mo Better Blues, I think was oh, cool. one of the last ones we watched. But it, that was a great class. That was good. Time. Yeah, that sounds hot. Um, okay. Yeah. What do we want to do? I got, I got, I got my, I got one of my favorite quotes from it. I got got a favorite quote. If I am occasionally a little overdressed, I make up for it by being always immensely overeducated. 
It's just yeah, right. What a bag of dicks. They all are. Yeah, Uh, we love them. We love them. Mouths and butts are the same thing. Hey, so let's let's get out of here. (laughs) Right? No, no, we done good. We done good. We We did all right. We've 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 we kept it tight. Toit. Toit. Uh, next week we're doing Salome. Let's get together and watch that, y'all. It's on yeah, Broadway HD. To. There's a Jessica Chastain Al Pacino movie on that Broadway Jessica HD. Chastain. That's really interesting. Yeah. I just love her. I just love her. She's <laughs> so good. She won my Best Actress last year for for Tammy Faye. Tammy Faye. Will you and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences see eye to eye? Talking yeah. talk about <laughs> yeah. a dream role for me if somebody approached me and wanted me to play a crazy fucking role like Tammy Faye or like a female leader of a cult or some shit. I would yeah. lose my mind. You mean would like you play Teal? Jim Jones? Oh, I could be Teal Swan. I could, could beat be that Jones. bitch up in a fight. Come at me, Teal Swan. I would I don't love to know be if Jim you Jones. could. I don't know if you I could. could. I could I don't take know. that she got, fucking bitch nah, on. She got, Come she, at me, Teal Swan. She got a crazy level that would kick in that she would just she wouldn't feel anything. I bet I've got forty pounds on her. I could take her down. No, I don't know. I, I listen. I'm not. I'm not disputing your power or your strength, CJ. Brown. CJ is hulking out right now. I would not that. fucking. I would not fight that you vein in the street. Huge. I would not. I'm just saying. <laughs> you can't fight crazy. You can't. Have fight you watched crazy. The Deep End yet, Beige? The fuck is that? It's about a cur- ongoing cult oh, led by yeah, a yeah, woman yeah. that's I like... I haven't started it yet. Oh, it's great. That. You gotta watch yeah. it. Everyone watch it. Thanks for joining us. For... <laughs> okay. Uh, no, L.A. Spitlets. L.A. Yes. Insert the... Put it here. L.A. Spotlight. Put it here. Put it here. CJ. <laughs> um, no, uh, do you guys have any spotlights? Yeah. Freestyle Love Supreme opens this week. Come see it. Yeah, it is. Um, Mine's the same one as last week. The Colored Museum, written by George C. Wolfe, directed by Jasmine uh, Nichelle at Loft. Got one weekend left, Saturday at 8, Sunday at 7. Awesome. I'll have uh, some things to announce over the next few weeks for a thing that'll be happening. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) I'm directing a workshop, but we're going to be doing a big presentation of it, and so I'll... Rock. I will. Uh, I'll keep you all posted. Yes, Bye. it'll be open to the public. Oh, great! Yeah. Uh, you two will probably missed... both be in it. So. Yay! Yay! I uh, need something uh, to work on. You'll have missed three guys when group on by now when this yeah. comes out. But that's yeah. okay. But Come to Chicago run. or Edinburgh next year. Hopefully, we'll be there. Yeah. What? I would. I would love to go anywhere with this show. So. We'd have to discuss some things if that <laughs> Author has notes. Producer I have has notes. notes. Oh, I know. Yeah, what? Yeah. Um, Are you just taking me out of the show? Is that what just you're saying? CJ. Just CJ. Just gone. <laughs> you're the one. Actually, you're, you're the, the only one that stays. Fuck everyone else. <laughs> um, no, it's the, it has nothing to do with the cast. It's it, I have I have edits I would like to make. That's Of all. course. Um, of course that would happen. But uh, thank you all for joining us for part two of trois. Uh, that's not right. Is that, are those the same language? Uh, this is <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you got trois. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, join us next week for, for part three of the impotence of being earned cash. Ah, see, you fucked it up. That's karma. <laughs> I did. It, karma. You know, but after, after the wild mini series, um, we have a, a bonus miniseries where we are covering four musicals and I want to go ahead and tell you what those are so you can get watching them. We're watching Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Uh uh Into uh, the Woods. Into the Woods and the New West Side Story. It's going to be a bitch in miniseries. I'm so excited. Um so the first two will be Fiddler and Little Shop, the second two will be Into the Woods and West Side and we'll be comparing and contrasting and having a blast and Pam will be with us. Yay. Uh and then uh and and, and then Jonathan Larson is after yes. that. Yes. Okay, go ahead, CJ. Questions, comments, compliments, suggestions, anything else, you can email us or reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I did it, Scott. Is it Pod Podcast for Jonathan Larson? We'll I think that's it. what we go discussed, ahead. yes. Go ahead, Scott. Tick, tick, pod. 
It's what it tick, is. Tick, tick, cat. Uh, yeah, know. we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, a big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It happens to be true. That's a fact. He also writes all of our stingers and he's an amazing human being. A big shout out to Pam Quinn who wrote our Oscar Wilde centric song, which you are about to hear. It's lovely. It mixes playwrights. It's lovely. Yeah, it's good. It- it references the reference to Shakespeare in Importance of Being Earnest. I don't know that it actually mixes, play, but sure, sure. <laughs> Better than any song you've written. Whoa. 100%. No, you're not uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, to the great uh, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Annie Baker, who writes every single one of Scott, our episodes. I have this... What? CJ. Um... Can we talk? Okay, we, let's have a production meeting okay. <laughs> about this bit. Yeah. It works, right? Okay, yes. we're all in for it. Great. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> Who writes every single one of our episodes and she doesn't even know it. And one day, Annie she Baker, knows. we're going to buy you a beer. She yes. knows. She knows. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Go subscribe, rate, rate review. Um, we love y'all so much. Uh, hi, Travis. I happen to know that Travis is listening right now. Hi, Travis. Hi, Trav. <laughs> okay, bye. 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 Little bird. Little Havala. You were always such a pretty little thing. Everybody's favorite child. Gentle and kind and affectionate. What a sweet little bird you were. That was from memory. Was it? Yeah. I played Tevya in high school. (laughs) I played Tevya. And I never forgot a single word. It's a good role. Later, everybody. Sounds insane.